This is a painful declaration of independence. Hello, my name is Barbia Santi and I am a London-based artist, curator and writer. Since 2017, I've been working on Declaration of Independence. Amma wrote for herself a poem. Oh, my dear brother, the decision to sever and separate was not based on the knowledge of me as a forever dreamer. Declaration of Independence, an ongoing performance forum bringing together women of colour to reflect on how the political affects the personal and how the social and cultural implications of historic declarations, policies and legislations impact on people's everyday lives. Between December of 2019 and January of 2020, Declaration of Independence went to Norway, to Bergen Kunsthal, a contemporary art museum in the centre of the city of Bergen. There, I did a series of workshops with longtime Declaration of Independence collaborator Faluke Taylor. Spill the tea. A slice of ginger crushed on the back of a spoon. I smell its juice on my fingers as I add it to the pot and I'm thinking about the impossibility of leaving trauma behind, which is what some people think you can do. Just because you don't have space for a thing doesn't mean it isn't there. Trauma is a world maker. We worked with about 20 women of colour living and working in Bergen, who came and shared time and food and stories, resulting in pieces about their lives and experiences of living in Norway. That was quite an experience, so we're going to reflect a bit on bringing together the, the Declaration of Independence at Bergen Kunsthal that happened in January. Purging our souls of black women and people of colour frustrations in a wet and white world just outside of our door. I felt so stupid. Why didn't I see that before? I remember you thinking my name was so strange. I knew you wouldn't remember it. But when I say things like, I'm fine, doesn't necessarily mean that my sadness for this place has subsided. Vulgarity, prosperity, judged by the ignorant. My pain is shared. You have shapes. That's beautiful. Why didn't I see that before? Over the course of this podcast, you will hear from some of the women who shared their time and stories with us, and also extracts from the performance at Bergen Kunst. Was not based on the knowledge of me as a forever dreamer, unable and incapable of handling the clear world of take and take and take. This is for Amma. Hey, Faluke. Hey, Barbie. <laughs> How are you doing? Would you just like to just tell us your name and um, a little bit about you? Well, my name is Faluke. And uh, I'm a writer, psychotherapist. Sometimes I'm a psychotherapist and a writer. I like to mix them up. Um, and I've, as you know, been collaborating with you, took up the invitation to collaborate with you on Declaration of Independence in 2018. Although, obviously, we have known each other for much longer, much longer than that in other spaces um, and I also need to say that I'm a parent I sometimes miss that out and it feels wrong because I spend so much of my time and so much of my life has been kind of meditation on yeah what it is to parent 
and mm. be in that kind of relationship. Mm. So I think we me. met each other as parents. As we well. did. So. so it feels important. It yeah. does feel important. Mm-hmm. I invited you to come and work with me in Bergen. It was the last day in November. The last day, because I remember thinking when you asked me, I've never been to Norway, never been to Scandinavia. In fact, I gravitate towards the sun. So I was thinking November in Norway. Okay, how's that going to be? I did tell you, I think I texted you and I said, it's snowing. (laughs) What I do remember is waking up the first day I was in in, Norway. Noise. It was dark outside, so I'm just like, oh, God, why have I woken up at like six o'clock in the morning? Uh, and it was nine o'clock. Obviously, for people who do come from the Southern Hemisphere, which is where most of us people of colour do come from, this is such an unusual thing. Uh, the last time I have been in this area in, the, in Scandinavia was in, in Finland, and it was the other side, so it was summer. So we had these very long days and I remember walking out at like 11 o'clock at night and it was still being light. So yeah, the weather is interesting there. my disdain for this place is race, culture, or weather related. But this shit is for the birds. Just to be clear, seasonal affective disorder is real, folks. It's not that image you conjure up when you think about what depression looks like. It's not that blank look in a person's eyes when you ask them a question like, how are you today? No, it's much more discreet than that. It's literally caused by the weather. Seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, a form of depression that tends to occur as the days grow shorter in the fall and winter. Some of you, most of you, can pretend your way through this season, right into the next, by saying things like, there will be light soon. But when I say things like, I'm fine, I'm just great, look, no rain today doesn't necessarily mean that my sadness for this place has subsided. It's just an answer for you, so you don't have to worry. Have to worry about how high my balcony is from the ground floor, or if it's a good thing that all the knives are dull as fuck, or that I kind of, but not really, know how to swim. No three, four, five days in a row of, yeah, I'm fine, equals success. And overcome to the unexplainable tears in the long days inside. Sad definition, sad cures, sad confusion. Back to race and culture. Tie it all together with things like the sidewalk. No friends who are 42 and queer and childless. Blame it on the rain. My name is Devon Sermons. I am a uh, systems trainer by profession and now turned company manager for a company here in Bergen that's a performance art company called 71 Bodies. Uh, it's a transgender-run, owned, operated company by my partner, Daniel Mary Blanca. And that has been keeping me busy here in Bergen for the last uh, eight months. The way I interact with people isn't really working, you know. People are really closed off. People are really distant. People are really cold. People are really shallow. 
and uh, I was really kind of concerned. What would my well-being because I just don't do well in in gray and dark and rain in general, like seasonal affective disorder is real. And I think at this moment and in this season, this was this was becoming more and more apparent as the days progressed. My partner was really busy in, in his work, you know. He, he's been here consistently for however many years we've been here doing the work. So the seasons and the loneliness don't really affect him. And for me, I was moving here from, I mean, the south of Spain, you know. We count the days that it rains, you know. So this complete shift in weather on a daily basis and then not having a true family to, to to gravitate to or to hold on to or to reach out to was a, a huge challenge in this moment. I was doing a lot of reading, right? I was mentioning a lot of uh, authors in my piece. You know, I was just going back to those words, you know, trying to find comfort and trying to find meaning in in the move and meaning in the in in the forward movement of the process of how I ended up coming back to Bergen. Trying to figure out like how I can, you know, make this work, you know, but really struggling with so many other things and not feeling like uh, the, the, the area was really welcoming. Yeah, I remember this part. Uh, we did it in the performance uh, with uh, Millie Vanilli because there's a part I say, um, you, something about never seeing the eyes of people. And I said, maybe... Maybe we can just blame it on the rain. We did this really uh, fun thing of the music drops and it's Millie Vanilli. Blame it on the rain. Yeah, yeah. And then we all did a little bit of a dance. But, it's it, you know, it's a little bit of a dig, right? It's a play on this thing of, yeah, you could, let's blame it on something, right? But the reality is maybe it's just because people are so distant. You know, they don't want this connection. And as long as you can blame it on the rain, you never have to... Uh, face this uh, this reality of people not really necessarily wanting to connect. Blame it on the rain. There's a song called "Blame It on the Rain" by a group called Milli Vanilli. From back in the '90s, they had lyrics that said, "Whatever you do, don't put the blame on you. Just blame it on the rain." So my concern with Bergen isn't that people don't give way on the sidewalk or that the glances I get seem to be three seconds too long or that even the dark-skinned people don't know what language to approach me in either. But I guess it's the rain, the cold, the all-around weather. But yeah, the light will be here soon. Blame it on the rain. <laughs> yeah. I remember that piece. That was really, that was very funny. Thinking about Devon developing her her piece, actually, how initially she sort of came with the, like she came with her readings, you know, the readings. She, I remember her kind of making reference to, 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 and to Zaki Shange and to Toni Morrison and, um Nikki Giovanni mm. oh yes especially Nikki Giovanni and and this kind of um talking a lot about the kind of comfort that 
kind of came from the reading. She talks about having no true family to reach out to. Mm. And I think what struck me was how the Declaration of Independence became a space for reaching out, actually. Mm. That feeling she had was mirrored in other women. And of course, it made my fussing about going to Norway in November and am I I, going to be warm enough? Are, Are my shoes good? It really put it into perspective because they were talking amongst themselves in the group about how actually the days get shorter. It will get colder and wetter. And actually, if you're in the north in um, Oslo or kind of above that, you know, there will come times where the sun doesn't really lift above the horizon. And it really was humbling, really, you know, to to. yeah, to, just to hear Devon's story and to think about what that was, to come into this really, really different space. Everything that is traumatising and affecting is the onslaught, but that also came at a cost, and that cost, you know, kind of exacerbated that, that seasonal affective disorder, that sense of loneliness, that sense of, um, you know, distance from family. All of that was kind of, ex- is, is exacerbated. Um, yeah, and how, how you kind of navigate yourself in a, wor- in a world that is antagonistic to your presence, but you, you want to find a sense of freedom and space. And Nina, she bookends the performance at this kind of, I remember when, like really just kind of dishing it out. Like, you know, I remember having hope but it was smashed and you know this like small child to the end where we've got this like I am black woman I am I mean it's quite incredible I remember myself as a child I remember myself as a child I remember innocence I remember innocence I remember naivety I remember naivety I remember hope I remember belief in the inherent goodness of others. I remember belief in the inherent goodness of others. I remember broken trust. I remember broken trust. I remember fear. I am a woman of color. I am half black. I am half white. I am brown. I am invisible. I'm invisible on television. I'm invisible in books. I'm invisible in films, in classrooms, in history. I am invisible in magazines. I am invisible when they hand out awards. I am invisible in science, in politics. I am invisible in the eyes of the system. I am invisible in the eyes of the law. I am invisible in society. I am not acknowledged. I am not recognized. I am invisible, but I stick out as a sore thumb because I am too visible. I am dangerous, different, strange, suspect, foreign, mysterious, wrong. I don't belong here. My name is Alnina Broten. I was born and raised in Oslo in 1987. So I am the tender age of 33. My father is from the Gambia and my mother is Norwegian. And I moved to Bergen 10 years ago. And now I'm studying law. 
Growing up in Norway is definitely something I didn't really think about until I actually moved to Bergen. Because in Oslo, it's such a different culture, such a multicultural environment. And I didn't necessarily feel that much on my own skin that I was different because I was mixed. I knew that I was mixed. um, And I definitely had some experiences with that. But it wasn't until that I moved to Bergen that that side of Norway where you are different because you're mixed was something that I really, really felt on my skin. And that really activated my activism when it comes to anti-racist work. So growing up in Norway has been very much depending on the city that I lived in. In Oslo, I was just one of the people there. And then moving to Bergen and living here, I feel like a foreigner. So there have been different chapters uh, when it comes to my life as a Norwegian, a brown Norwegian woman. My Gambian side, every time I see myself in the mirror, it's there. There, It's undeniable. It's not something that I can avoid or something that I can suppress because it's a visual thing. It's, It's there, you know, hence why I'm being treated as a foreigner in the city. But as a child, it was just a part of me. It wasn't really something that I thought that much about. But now it's been, become increasingly important to me. And I really wish that I knew my father's language, which is Wolof. I knew it as a child, but I don't know it anymore. And that kind of hurts because I would like to give that to my children, my future children. I want them to know when they look in the mirror why they look the way that they do. And I really want to go to Gambia one time in the future, maybe after a pandemic, and really explore my roots and really see that side of my heritage because it really is a part of me and I love that. I've never, ever been ashamed of being part African, being part West African, being part Gambian, being part Black. That is who I am. As much as my white side is a part of who I am, this is very much a part of who I am. And I think it's almost like a part of, maybe not, I wouldn't say it's rebellious, but it kind of is rebellious to be who you are in this world. That kind of asks of you to be something else and to conform. These dreadlocks that I wear, that was a choice. That was me embracing my natural hair and saying, you know what? That is good enough. That is actually beautiful on the same level as any other hair type is. And I'm not afraid of the sun. I am not afraid to get tan. I am not afraid to get darker. I'm not afraid of this melanin. I'm not afraid of these features that you see on my face. I love it. And I wouldn't want to have it any other way. You know what I remember about um, that process I remember Anina saying, no, I only ever wear black. We'd had these conversations about wearing block colors and no, I only ever wear black. She never tied her hair. She had long dreadlocks like me. And um, I remember on the day that we did the performance when they were getting ready, and I don't even know how this happened. There were two women who were wrapping her head. I don't know if you remember this, Barbie, and I don't know which woman it was, but I remember, I remember the image of her sitting as they wrapped her hair and just how much she was excited. It was, she was really excited by it and, and looked beautiful. And she's stunning, tall. So, yes, yeah, she speaks really beautifully, confidently, writes beautifully, 
And of course, I guess, as she said, we saw this vulnerability and she was able to be vulnerable and she was able to let other women do her hair um, in preparation for this, which also felt to me like part of the ritual, part of the ceremony of this, part of the kind of initiation in a way. Yeah, I remember her... um because also I think she also talked about never doing that because of the her height, yeah. never wrapping her hair. And, you know, and to hear her speaking about, you know, I, my Africanness, my, you know, I'm embracing my black womanliness, that, that kind of thing. That one of the things I, I think I seem to recall her speaking about was that, is being a very tall, you know, black, brown woman in Norway definitely she's standing out she's standing above and this is the time when her standing above is there and she can fully embrace her her standing above fully embrace that beingness I I think that brought a lot to other people as well I think that brought a lot to other women who were like perhaps less confident uh in that in that opening um and to, to actually start to appreciate themselves in fact I think there was a lot of self-appreciation that started to kind of happen I, I recall uh, I see this beautiful face she's called Martha um, actually like really through the process of writing in our and, and, and kind of sharing you know kind of reclaiming her her you know her birth name because actually when she was when she was adopted you know, her birth ma- name was lost, reclaiming that birth name and reclaiming her body and like just kind of like, yeah, my body doesn't look like the typical Norwegian woman. I don't fit in in that way, but my body is gorgeous and it's not gorgeous for someone else or these people who would say, ah, oh, I've never had sex with a Latina before. This body, I'm reclaiming it for me not for your exotic notion of what it's like to sleep with a latina woman you know it's it's my body my hips my chest my face my hands declaration of independence is a resource (laughs) at the end of the day it's it's a resource it's resourced us it's resourced us to be able to do some really possible things that we never thought that we could do that are beyond the performance we just hope that it can continue to resource anyone who takes part anyone who witnesses it even witnesses it in resistance the darker the berry the sweeter the juice they want our rhythm but not our blues colonized brutalized, ostracized, occupied, stolen, broken, raped, branded, enslaved, breeding stock, laughing stock, eugenics, euthanized, genocide, massacred, dehumanized, and they won't say our names. Thank you to all the women who have been part of Declaration of Independence in Bergen. 
Thank you in particular to Anine and Devon for sharing their stories and experiences for this podcast. A huge thank you to Maria Rusinovskaya for more than facilitation, for more than creating space and for her unending generosity and dedication towards making this happen and supporting this process. Also, thank you to Scott Elliott and the team at Bergen Kunstall. This podcast has been made possible by funding from Reimagine Europe. Thank you to Faluke Taylor, who has been an integral collaborator in the growth of Declaration of Independence since 2018. This podcast has been produced in collaboration with Femi Oriogan-Williams. Thank you for listening.